You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. grab our scriptures and turn to the book of Romans chapter 1 once again. Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning, verses 1 through 7, as we begin to head through this, this book of the gospel, book of, about God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Romans 1, 1 through 7. Last week had a couple pictures. One was from Wesley. Wesley, this was from last week. This is great. Uh, if you look through here, I don't know. Yeah, you can see it from there, I think. Pretty good. Uh, we talked about this Romans being a letter, and there is Paul putting that letter in the ancient mailbox, probably what they looked like back then. Uh, and it has, it's got a stamp. I don't know what's on the stamp, but to the church in Rome, and it ends up winding through the church in Rome. That's where we're at. That's the kind of, we're in an epistle, we're in a letter today, a letter to the Romans, and we're going to be looking at the first part of this. Really part of the introduction uh, to this book. So, hopefully you're there, you found Romans, and as we turn to this book week by week, your Bible will fall open to it easier and easier. Maybe it already does. It's, I, I imagine we're here often, there's many times, and whatever we read, something comes from Romans. And uh, so here we are again. So let's read verses 1 through 7. Hear God's word to us. Paul Servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray once again. Father, again I ask as I come to this pulpit once again, would you would you work through, through frail words and a frail mind to do your work through your word? I pray for your spirit to work amongst us, that we would hear from you um, thoughts that are coming out of your word and what thoughts there are that, that are in the wrong, that do not lead to you. Let them, let them not be heard. Uh, but we just pray that you would bless our time as we think on you. What a privilege again it is that we get to to sit here and devour your word. And I pray that that's what we would look forward to doing, not because of the preacher, but because of your word. It's bread. It's life. We, we can't live on bread alone. We must live on your word. So Lord, give us a greater hunger for it and help us to develop that hunger even today as we study these seven verses. I would ask in Jesus' name, amen. This... As Wesley pointed out, this was a letter that we're looking at. This, the, the introduction of Paul here could be a little less, could be a little smaller. Could have just said, from Paul to the church in Rome, or, or just to Rome. This one is longer, and I think partly that's due that Paul had never met 
in person, these Romans. I think he's heard about them, he's heard of the church, but he's never met them, and so he's got some things to say kind of right off the bat. So more than just a simple salutation here, you know, from Paul to whatever, there's just, there's just quite a bit involved here. And, and so we come to a difference of genre from where we spent all basically of last year in the book of, of Judges. Judges, though it was a, there's challenges there as well, we could cover long sections. And we covered Gideon. We broke him up into, into pieces, but there would be long sections because it's narrative and you're, you're reading a story through here. But in Paul, it's a little more compact. It's, it's dense. And that's what we find in the epistles here, uh, which are letters of Paul amongst, amongst others. Uh, for instance, I normally shoot for, I figure my notes are complete when I get to uh, five, six, or seven pages of notes. I feel like, okay, that's before putting it into a sermon, like, okay, that's good. I feel like I've, I've researched it. This, this one had 10 pages. Uh, and I think, I think, I don't know what it'll be like going forward, but... Um, it's just an indication, that's not an indication how long this is going to be, but hopefully not. But that's the, the, the nature of where we're at. There's just so much here. And you just go through and you find this word, and there's that. And what's Paul? And what, he's a servant, he's an apostle. And then he's saying this in here. There's just so much to, to wrap around why you can just study. I mean, volumes are written on a 16-chapter chapter book here. But this also brought this to mind, and I hope it encourages you today as we're in just what maybe we could say, well, it's just Paul's introduction. I mean, let's get on to, Rome, let's get on to the rest of the gospel. It's just him introducing himself. And the, the mind game I, wanna, I want you to think about is if you were forced to go into prison and they said you can take seven verses of Scripture and the only seven you had was you were able to rip out Romans 1, 1 through 7 and take that with you into prison. Would you have something with you? And my proposition to you is you would have richness with you in that prison cell. That's the only part of God's Word. I mean, there's, there's verses. You could just take one verse and better yet, memorize them so, we, so we're, we're, we don't need it. But if you had this section, I think you'd have a rich portion. And so we want to we look at it, move through the passage, try to seek to understand, explain what's here because Paul's here and there and He's introducing himself, and then just all of a sudden, he's right into the gospel. And so we want to look at that uh, this morning. So let's look at verse 1. This is the traditional. Here it is, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul describes himself here two ways. You can see it in the text. He's, He's a servant, and he's an apostle. And we'll get to where the apostle, what, what comes out of that, but it's servant and apostle. First, the servant. This is not the only time where Paul refers to him this way. Um, you'll find it, I think we probably look, we looked at it when we were in Philippians. He begins the book of Titus the same way. But this term here, it has more to it than a sense of just Paul's kind of one of those serving type guys. He's just a kind guy. And he, if, if the floor needs vacuuming, Paul's going to do it. He's just that kind of servant type guy. There's more to this idea of his servanthood here. Um, some of your translations are going to say, use the word like, look, NASB, or if you're using a New King James, you've got bond servant. Uh, if you're in a New Living translation or net, I don't know if any of you are using the net Bible, um, 
you've got the word slave. So servant, bondservant, slave. So there's more to this word. And I think because of the history of our, of our nation, our, the United States, it's, it's difficult here. When we think of Paul as a slave, it's difficult to think of just anything other than the cruel practice, bringing Africans over to be slaves, the harsh treatment, that idea. That's not that that's not at, uh, absent in Rome, but I think there's a, there's a difference here in terms of thinking of slaves even in the Roman Empire. Sometimes they had better jobs and were, had a better status than somebody that was free in this type of empire. So like a slave to the emperor, I read, is in a better spot than just the, the free person. I mean, you're slave to the emperor. And so there's status that comes with that. And that doesn't, that's kind of hard for us to think about. So though there was, I think there probably was slavery as we might be more used to thinking of slavery. I'm sure, you know, Rome conquered enemies and made them slaves and forced labor and that sort of thing. I think there's also this idea, it's, it's not necessarily, sometimes it's an elevated position. But, the idea of servant here goes back even further back than Rome. Paul, I think, interestingly, is he's talking about a servanthood that goes back past Rome, back into the Old Testament. Think of what Moses was called in the Old Testament. You ever remember Moses being called the servant of the Lord? Uh, Joshua's called this. Elijah was. David one commentator, I'll probably quote from him a lot as I, as I use some of his commentary, a guy named Douglas or Doug Moo, he says this. Uh, he says, slave of Christ Jesus, that's Paul's designation here, it's patterned on the familiar Old Testament phrase, slave or servant of Yahweh. So Paul's saying slave, servant of Christ Jesus, Old Testament way of saving servant of Yahweh. Now, he says here, the phrase connotes Total devotion, suggesting that the servant is completely at the disposal of his or her Lord. And get this, indicative of Paul's high Christology, that's what his theology of who Christ is, is the fact that he replaces the Lord of the Old Testament phrase with Christ Jesus. You see that in your text? Paul, a slave, a servant of, and we expect Old Testament-wise of Yahweh. He inserts Christ Jesus, which tells us something about the deity of Christ. And we're not just four or five words into the book. And there's already, you see how hard it is to just keep going and why there's so many notes on it. So, servant here, slave, bondservant, it's got, it's got Old Testament meaning, and it's Paul's first description of really who he is. He is willing to act and do all of what his master requires may that be said of us servant of christ wherever jesus whatever your will be done i want to do what you want me to do i want to serve serve you paul is also here in the text he's called to be an an apostle and that's just one one definition one sent as a messenger or agent um, to give maybe some flavor to it, one dictionary had the idea of a, like a, maybe it was used in naval terms, like a naval expedition, apostolos, something along that idea, or like a ship that's ready for departure, or even like a, a letter of authorization relating to shipping, kind of a letter, 
to authorize the shipping, something along those lines. So in one sense, Paul is the sent out one. He's, he's like a ship commissioned to go, and he's authorized by the commander. He's got authorization as an apostle to go. And so what's the mission? What is Paul about? What's he the sent one to do? And here it is at the end of verse 1. It's that he is set apart for what? What's the commission? The gospel of God. That's his mission. It's not just any good news. Not just the gospel, which means good news. It's the good news of God. One commentator points out this about the book of Romans in its entirety. He says, Romans is ultimately a book about God. How he acted to bring salvation, how his justice is preserved, how his purposes are worked out in history, how he can be served by his people. The gospel is about God. We read the book by John Piper years ago, God is the Gospel, and and that, that helped us think through All the gifts of the gospel, the justification, the adoption, the reconciliation, all those things that Christ did are gifts and wonderful, but they lead us somewhere. They lead us to God Himself. That God is the point of the gospel. It's not just about getting heaven for the sake of heaven. It's about getting God. And it's the gospel of God that's shown here. And so in verses 2 through 5, it's like Paul's saying, I'm a servant apostle set apart for the gospel. And then he's just going to go in, what is that gospel? What, what is at the heart of it? And to explain it. So let's look through it, uh, beginning in verse 2. So he's set apart for the gospel of God. Now verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel is not a, it's not a New Testament idea. It can be traced Genesis, the very, very third chapter of Genesis, all the way through. Jesus himself talked about it. Remember the two disciples he was with on that road to Emmaus? It says there that, that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that is Jesus, interpreted to them in all the Scripture the things concerning himself. So here's this gospel promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, and it concerns Jesus. The promises of God find their fulfillment in the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the one Paul goes to in verse 3. Now look at verse 3. So he's promised beforehand through his prophets, now verse 3, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Now we're getting into these. There's kind of this verse 3, and then it's up against verse 4. We're going to see another according to there. But this is concerning the Son, descended from David, according to the flesh. So Jesus, according to the flesh, can trace His descendancy or his, the seed of David, really quite literally here, down to Jesus. I want to look at that just going back. We've been here probably... Uh, I think more than once, to uh, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look up, find second. If you find Kings and Chronicles, just keep heading backwards a little bit more towards the front of your Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel 7, we'll look at, start in 12 and 
when you get there. David here, this is the time of King David. David wants to build a house for the Lord. But the Lord comes. He comes through Nathan the prophet and says, David's son shall build him a house. And yes, Solomon would build, but Solomon would not last. Solomon would die. This son would build an eternal house, an eternal kingdom. So look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look at verse 12. And let's just read through verse 16 here. It's this prophecy coming to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. And maybe you've got just a quick question. Wait, if this is about Jesus, I thought he was sinless. He was, but he took on our iniquity on the cross. Okay, just a little side note. Okay, verse 15. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So again, Doug Moo helpfully states here, this promise, the promise to David that his seed would have an eternal reign became the prime focus of messianic expectation in the Old Testament and in Judaism. In other words, based on this and I think other places as well, they are looking forward to this seed of David, this Messiah, this anointed one. That's their expectation. And so, if you come back to Romans, if you held your finger there, your Bible can come back to it. So verse 3, here now is this son, this descendant of David according to the, the flesh, this Messiah. Then verse 4, he's going to speak of Jesus as Lord. Let's look now into verse 4 of Romans 1. So he's descended from David according to the flesh, now verse 4, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. If you read verse 4 carefully, if you read just the, even the first line of it, uh, and He was declared to be the Son of God, it can sound like until the resurrection, Jesus was not the Son of God. Like He became something He was not. But I think Paul's pointing out, as one, one commentator put it here, that being appointed son has to do not with a change in essence, as if a person or human Messiah becomes son of God for the first time, but with a change in status or function. So not as though Jesus, you know, Jesus was just human. He wasn't God yet until the resurrection. Oh, now he is God. No, that's, he's eternally son of God. It's an eternal Way and now here, but here is something, something to do. Declared Son of God in relation to the resurrection. Philippians two. I'll just read it. You could look it up. But Philippians two, talking about Christ and humbling Himself. I think it's helpful because I think it's a parallel, at least from my study and what I can try to glean here. Listen to how Philippians two, Paul, same author, puts it there. He says of Jesus, who emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think that fits kind of with this descended from David according to the flesh. But then verse 9, do you remember Philippians where it goes from there? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. In this sense here, God, uh, Jesus, his Christ's resurrection, it's his coronation. This is his declaration. It's, it's his, his appointment as son of God with, with power. Now, you'll see also in there, this is where it's just, it's, I'll just flat out, it's challenging here to understand how all this fits and, and the words, but it, you see in power according to the spirit of holiness. And there's different views here on just, what is the spirit of holiness? Is this the Holy Spirit or, or because Jesus, holiness, that kind of spirit? Um, I, I take it to be the work of the Holy Spirit here in the resurrection. Paul's going to say later in Romans chapter 8, same book, so that's Sometimes a safe place to go that the same Holy Spirit was the one in Romans 8, verse 11, who raised Jesus from the dead. So Spirit's actively, I think, part of the resurrection. So Jesus descends from David according to the flesh. He's now declared Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. I think the Holy Spirit's work here of exalting Christ and the resurrection, it, it seems... The Spirit's work of doing this exaltation of Christ begins, is inaugurated with this, this resurrection. With that said, you, you might go, okay, I, I'm not understanding verse 4. That's not, it's not terribly helpful. Do this and just look at the end of it. And I, I think that's probably the most clarifying portion, the last four words of the verse. Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's descended from David in the flesh. He's raised again. He's, he's the Son of God, declared this. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So He's Messiah. He's descended from that seed of David. He's going to save people from their sins. And He's appointed as what? Lord. There's that connotation of rule and reign. So I think that, that kind of sums up who is this, this foundation. And so that's the foundation the Gospel is built on. It's not on a foundation of us and what we do. It's the foundation is Christ. We've got to start with Him in the Gospel. That's where Paul starts. That's the foundation. He set apart for the Gospel, which, oh, by the way, is all pointed towards Jesus, Messiah, Lord. That's where we've got to come to in the Gospel. Then things flow out of this Messiah, this Jesus who will save His people from their sins. And this, this reigning Lord. And that's verse 5. Now look at 5. Through whom? Okay, so through Jesus Christ, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Again, verse 5, really the outflow of the work and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Grace comes from Christ. He humbled Himself. He became obedient to death on the cross. And so Paul is sent out by this Lord. This Lord of glory, the Son of God. And His purpose here to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name. We looked at this a little bit or brought it up last week. It's what I've 
titled the, the sermons through Romans, and different people have different titles. And just seeing this here, it's mentioned at the beginning of Romans. It's mentioned at the end. In Acts, this phrase is used, and maybe it helps us because it's not just Paul here. It says in Acts 6-7 that the Word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So there's this obedience and there's faith. We're going to see it, I think, obedience really strong in chapter 6 as we get there. But again, what are we to understand from this phrase, this phrase of obedient faith? And I think it's this. Faith, there's initial faith, God-given faith, initial faith in conversion that simply obeys the Lord Jesus by believing on the Lord Jesus. And then that faith that believes on the Lord Jesus follows the Lord Jesus because He is the Lord Jesus. Martin Luther uh, is quoted as saying this. Maybe you've heard it before. We are saved by faith alone. So please don't hear from me. This is, this is obedience. Just be, there's so important, the obedience of faith. And then what's the object? Martin Luther says, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never, it's never alone. I think Paul can, can even title himself a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul is not, is not saved by faith to just go about being Paul. He's saved to serve, to come under who? The Lord. Jesus Christ the Lord. And so the whole of Romans, is, it's going to play out this majesty of God's grace here in this powerful gospel to save sinners through faith. Faith not being a work, faith being a who do you look to for salvation? Christ alone. But then it's through this faith that sinners are transformed. They live lives of obedience. Uh, the ESV Study Bible, which I use, says it this way. It's unlikely that obedience of faith here refers only to initial saving faith because the purpose of Paul's apostleship was not merely to bring people to conversion, but also to bring about transformed lives that are consistently obedient to God. Faith recognizes both aspects of Jesus. He's, he is Christ, He's Messiah, He's our Savior, and He is resurrected by the Holy Spirit. He is Lord. Now, we didn't, we didn't look there, but Psalm 2, if you want to look through there, it talks about the Son begotten by God, and, and commentators will look back at that. And, and re, I don't know if you remember the end of Psalm 2, kiss the Son, it says there, lest He be angry with you. This is the Lordship, His resurrection. He's the one that has the double-edged sword. He's the one that will judge the earth. This is the Lord we bow to. And it's He who we come to for salvation. And so what's the goal of this obedient faith? You've got it in the text. Paul brings about the obedience of faith. So there's faith. Look to Christ. Don't look to any. Don't look to the law. Don't look to works. Look to Christ. And what's the result of this? Faith in Christ for the sake of His name. Faith is not about, look at my faith. Look at how special my faith is. Look at how great my faith is. Look at who my faith is in. It's in Jesus Christ. So it's for His sake, for His glory, for His praise. Which brings us back, really, this gospel is a gospel of God. It's for His glory. 
It's a salvation by grace. It's through faith. And now in our freedom, His love, we love Him. We can worship Christ as our Lord. The last phrase there, among all nations, really tells us that this faith is not just a Jewish, it's not just for Jewish people. It goes beyond Israel. It's a gospel to all who would call on the Lord, to all who would believe in Him. It's to Gentiles. Uh, The ESV says nations. You could translate it Gentiles. Maybe some of your translations say that. We're going to see in Romans, this is a gospel for Jew and Greek, all nations. So Paul kind of, okay, here's the gospel. I want to share this. And now he comes back to the people in Rome. Now verses 6 and 7. I'll just read those together. So among all the nations, now 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Contemplate what Paul is saying here. Because there's this is again why I say in a prison, you're, you've got richness before you. Look at these ones. Verse 6, they're, they're those that are called to belong to Christ Jesus. There's a, the use of the, the words here has this idea of possession, I think, here. That you are possessed a possession of Jesus Christ. And if you are, He will hold you fast. If, the, if you're owned by Him, you're called to belong to Him because you're called by Him. Predestined, called, we'll look, we'll look at that uh, Romans 8 as we get there. This calling of the Lord Jesus. Not only that, who are they in Rome? They are who? They are beloved. They are the loved of God. They're not just some people, and they're loved of God. And then further, they're called to be, the ESV says, saints. You could say holy ones. Holy ones, not because of our own obedience, because of Christ's obedience. We are made righteous and holy and imputed righteousness to us. So one commentator says here on these people in Rome, he says, when Paul writes to all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints... He is writing not to people likely to figure in stained glass windows, but to a somewhat motley collection of shopkeepers, minor civil servants, converted prostitutes, prize fighters, and slaves. These are the people called to be God's holy ones. So Paul concludes his his introduction, his salutation with grace to you, peace to you because the source of where grace and peace come from is God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace does not come from us earning it, working for it, deserving it. It's from God alone. The gospel is about God alone and Christ. So if you only had this section with you, a torn out piece of scripture in a prison cell, what would you have? I know we've got to work through Paul's different phrases, but you would have the gospel in a nutshell because you've got the Son. It's concerning the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you'd have the gospel being about obedient faith, faith that believes on Jesus Christ and is saved, and a faith that looks to Jesus as Lord of all, of who we fall under and we obey and our knees bow before Him. You would have the fact that He is Lord. He's, he's to be exalted. He is the exalted one. And 
you would see we've been called by grace to belong to Christ. That you're loved by God, called to be saints. Not a calling just for some who have attained a, a level. It's for sinners who have been granted grace by this Savior. May we glorify the Lord in obedient faith and worship this one. Let's pray. Father, thank You for seven verses in Your Scripture that, that rightly point us again to our Savior, to the Lord who has defeated death and who by grace has called us to belong to Himself. Father, I pray that Jesus Christ would just ooze and flow out of who we are as the people of God. May our faith be looking to Jesus for our salvation and may our faith have legs that walk and looks like we are owned and we are servants, bond servants, slaves of our Lord. Not out of duty or because we have to, but it is our joy to serve you. Lord, would you help us to increase our joy in you, Lord Jesus, and that we would be as well in that mission of proclaiming a gospel and then bringing you glory in our lives. Father, we thank you for your leading, your calling, your loving, your grace, and your peace. listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.